a listener production. This episode is brought to you by Bendix Brakes, Denso and Exidy. The Grill, a collaboration with VACC, the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce and powered by Listener. We're the Grillers, <laughs> not the Gorillas, although some might argue that based on our promo pick. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Greg Rust, Shane Jacobson and Jeff Gwillem with you for The Grill. A cool collab about cars, bikes and the auto industry, all with thanks to VACC, Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce, and parked up here at Listener, ready for you to enjoy wherever you get your pods. Make sure you check out the website too, vacc.com.au, particularly if you're interested in an auto career, maybe you're looking for a little change for 2023. Lots of great options to consider there. Uh, no truth to the rumour that we made cameos in the recent bobblehead commercial either. That looks really, really cool. Uh, Shane, I asked Jeff on the last show about his you know, kind of hopes, dreams in the pipeline for 2023. Mm-hmm. What about your resolution for the year ahead? And are you going to get that damn race car finished? <laughs> I am going to get that race car finished. The motor's been transported from Sydney to Melbourne, so there's an LS3 sitting on a crate Woo-hoo! my mate's factory. So just been having chats about sequential boxes. Anyway, it's all going to God, I just got to make sure my wife can't hear me. Yeah, they're, they're quite expensive, those sequential boxes. Anyway, yeah, you heard me. They're $30 or 30 grand. Is that why we, we moved through your garage to her very quickly, you know, when she's there? Nothing to see here. Move along, you know. But the good news is I'm finishing her and my, my wife's Morris 1100 this year as well. So that'll be done. That'll be done. You have to post something on social media with you jammed in that thing when that's done. I can't wait for that. (laughs) I look like a hippo in a letterbox. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, VACC moved into fabulous, beautiful new, almost kind of -of state-of-the-art premises in in recent months. And a little asset that some people may not know about is – the archive. You guys have got a, gr- a great tool there, some unbelievable reference material for kind of automotive businesses. Is that a little bit of like bedtime reading for you? Do you pull out the Ford Meteor handbook? We think it's the biggest uh, automotive techno- technology library in Australia. Amazing. There'd be 20,000 publications down there. Um, the funny thing is, is that now and again, when a VACC member passes away, often the, the, the partner and, and generally the the missus gets in touch with us and says, oh, look, we've, uh, Herb's, Herb's gone. He was 93. The shed's full of books. Do you want them? You know, there are some gems in there. And, you know, people still ring the VACC. We've got a technical line there. You know, it's still taking in 50,000 calls a year from the members. And you wouldn't believe some of the technical data that members are after on very old cars, very unusual cars, very odd things. And I'll tell you this very quickly, Greg. We talked about digitising the library once, you know, put digitise the whole thing, scan it all in. And, and the guy said, but Jeff, when we reach out for that manual, we know that that engine in that Ford manual was used in this car and this car and that car. Yeah, of course. If you digitise that, we'll never find it, but we know where it is. That is amazing. Amazing. And uh, fast forward 10 years, is that like a library card scenario where Mr. Jacobson gets a fine uh, for still hanging on to that early Cortina manual? <laughs> Mark II Cortina. <laughs> the members you'd normally phone in, you know, and I talk to some of the technical guys down there sometimes and go, look, guys, we need to get more members. Why don't we have people walking around here? 
and the blood drains out of their face. They can't bear the thought that somebody's going to nick a book out of the library. we got 20,000 of them, you know. Very funny <laughs> video too uh, with Shane touring the facilities and some of the staff um, mistaking him for me. That's very good stuff. <laughs> uh, coming up on the show today, best and worst performers for 2022. We'll um, have a little look at that. Who was up and who was down for luxury car brands and makes. Plus, blow it out your tailpipe. That's a real favourite of yours. We haven't forgotten about that. Now that we're fortnightly, you'll catch it in this episode. Your mail in the glove box and a bit more from our feature guest, our good mate Steve Pizzardi, the former Top Gear host um, in this part of the world. He's also head instructor for Audi Australia and a a well-known media commentator around all things car and automotive. So part two with the great man coming up. But first, some news that may not have caught your eyes and ears this month. We're off to the Grand Prix uh, in late March. We'll tell you more about that in coming episodes. Quick shout out, um, can we just say, gentlemen, to the Australian Grand Prix CEO, Andrew Westergott, who's in our library. He was a guest on our 22 GP show and he is stepping down, gentlemen, after an unbelievable tenure. Yeah, done a great job as well, Greg. Great job. I agree. He's um, just, uh, Jeff, as you know, secured the rights for a further two years, which unbelievably takes the Grand Prix in Melbourne through to 2037. He's been at the helm since 2011 and he rode all the chaos of COVID. You both know about the announcement that day when COVID stopped the Grand Prix in, uh, in 2020. I mean, it's still... Uh, in in my mind, one of the most unforgettable moments in my in my life, one of the biggest press conferences ever. So, as Jeff detailed, good operator who will be missed. And and one crazy, maybe not crazy, rumor that has been floating around. Someone suggested that perhaps Michael Massey, the former F1 race director, could be considered for that position. He's found himself on various uh, boards in um in in recent time now that he's back in Australia. So. Big role, big job. Um, We wish him well if he is in consideration for that. Do you reckon, Jeff and Shane and listeners generally, that weird cars are becoming the new norm? We would love your thoughts on this. Info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. So The Verge, uh, that's the publication, have been asking about this in in a yarn relating to kind of gimmicks that car companies are coming up with during the push toward EV. So they cite things. Jeff talked in the last episode about Hyundai's Ionic 5, for example, and other crazy innovations like the crab-walking GMC Hummer EV, plus the the rally or off-road derivatives of the Porsche 911 and the, the upcoming Lamborghini Huracan. Are we, you know, headed down this path of, of weird cars becoming the new norm? I still think designers are going to hold on to some very traditional things about cars. They might have EV power plants in them in the future, but if you look at a, a Jeep, I, I think you're still going to want that iconic look, are you not? Greg, the thing that you're not going to want in a Jeep is a screen that's tilted back, nearly touching your forehead when you sit in the car. So we'll be talking about iconic old designs in three years when the designs aren't old. It's just the old stuff we really liked. And we're learning too. They're learning about battery packaging and how they can do it differently. And we may not you know, end up with this constant bubble shape that is on the road in, in some of them. Yeah. Yeah, but the designers of the future are, are going to be younger than us that don't have the shapes of cars in their head that we've got stuck in our heads. Like, you know, I could draw an XB coupe, even though I'm a old man, I could draw an XB coupe with my eyes shut, that shape, you know what I mean? And I just don't know whether those, I mean, they, I think they'll look at those shapes 
and see them as a bygone era. So, you know, the youth of today designing cars of the future, they'll have different shapes in mind. So I'll be fascinated to see what they look like. To your point, you're a dad, and I know with my own kids, when they look at an Ionic 5, they go, that is cool. Let me have one of those. So now, while you're talking children, did you, Shane, get into a bit of Lego over Christmas? I think often you do things like that, don't you? Did you get into a bit of Lego with the kids over the festive season? Always. It's my go-to. Um, <laughs> at some point, to, to fund the race car that I'm building, I'm going to sell the kids Lego, which should be able to pay for <laughs> At the end of every year when me and my wife sit down and you do a bit of a budget, how of the year go? We always know we've probably dropped at least $1.2 million on Lego. <laughs> you know, and, and, look, and when we get back to Melbourne, I've actually got another Lego car kit for us to build. Awesome, awesome. It kind of leads me to the fact that I think they released a, a Too Fast, Too Furious inspired Nissan GTR R34. Comes complete with a Brian O'Connor, the late... Paul Walker, a, a figure behind the wheel, massive ironing board on the back of it. I think about 40 bucks for for those. So cool, cool fun. Let's go turn hard right here. Nine MSN shared a yarn on real-world towing range for an F-150 Lightning and what's it like when you jump it. Now, don't try that at home, <laughs> team. So chilling with Chet on YouTube. Uh, he was inspired by some of his listeners, I think, or, or readers, his version of the truck had the extended battery packs. We need to point that out. And he put a big boat on the back of it. Still got 150 miles or 240 k's thereabouts towing the the boat. But at the request of his followers, he endeavoured to jump the F-150. <laughs> that pretty heavy with the battery yeah. packs on board. So I think the observation made is don't try that at home, as I said. And don't be disappointed if it doesn't jump like the General Lee from Dukes of Hazard because it doesn't. Okay, but should we add that to our list of questions when we're going into a, <laughs> to a car yard asking for a car? What's its ball weight? What's its towing capacity? What's its range like? How far can it jump? <laughs> <laughs> We are about to get flooded. Info at thegrillpodcast.com.au with have you ever jumped something? Uh, No, no, no. Uh, Finally, how about we're talking to Steve Pizzardi on this this episode, our feature guest, part two coming up. He is restoring an old Alpine. What about the commitment they have made to this? I think they're calling it an A110. They reckon... Um, obviously with uh, with EV power plants and the insane torque that they they can produce, that this thing is going to be capable of 0 to 100 or 0 to 60 mile an hour in 0.4 of a second. That's, that's quick. That's very, very quick. Uh, that's almost rocket type. But, but can a human driving that put up with it? Because that's the thing, isn't it? Even if the car is able to do it, can the human... I mean, I guess they do in drag cars, don't they? It kind of defies the laws of of, uh, of physics. They reckon it'll become um, the the fastest accelerating car ever built by human hands. So uh, a little bit sceptical, but anyway, um, good luck with that. If you've seen some crazy automotive news, we'd love to discuss it on a future episode of the pod. Send us the link, info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. A quick break to talk about Bendix brakes, specifically their General CT brake pads, the perfect braking solution for everyday driving. Bendix General CT brakes utilize stealth advanced technology, offering smoother and quieter braking for more comfortable day-to-day driving. Ceramic technology means that they also deliver improved stopping performance, which is obviously very important when you're talking about brakes, of course, low dust, low rotor wear, and enhanced durability. Bendix Blue Titanium Stripe technology 
technology removes the need for bedding in and noise-absorbing shims reduce vibration and noise during extreme braking, which me and Rusty and Jeff know a little bit about. For the perfect everyday braking solution, ask your mechanic to fit Bendix General CT brake pads, available from all good Bendix stockists. Bendix, put your foot down with confidence. Hey, speaking of brakes, Rusty, time for breaking news. You can hear all about the final VFAX figures for 2022 in our most recent ep of The Grill. You can jump back to the listener library when you're done with this one. But today we're going to drill down to some of the best and worst performers of the year. Uh, Jeff, Toyota once again dominated the sales charts. What I mean, the percentage of the market that they have is staggering, isn't it? They finished the year with 21.4% of the vehicle market, which for anybody selling something in a busy market is a magnificent figure. But globally, they're up around 20% of, of global vehicle sales as well. For Australia, though, this was Toyota's third highest sales result on record. Second place uh, last year was Mazda with 95,718 sales for the year, market share of 8.9%. And as you can see, Greg, there's four or five dominant vehicle manufacturers, and then it sort of drops away. Uh, Kia comes in third, uh, outselling its sister company, Hyundai and Mitsubishi, for the first time with 78,330 sales and a market share of 7.2%. I suppose you'd expect that Kia uh, brand to grow further, but those numbers will be up this year, I imagine. Fourth place came uh, Mitsubishi with 76,991 sales and a market share of 7.1%. And fifth spot came Hyundai, 73,345 sales at 6.8% of the market. We're not buying European cars on mass the way that we used to, MG, uh, as we know, it's a Chinese brand now. MG has grown faster than any other brand in Australia, rising to seventh position in the charts in 2022, up from ninth position in 2021. MG last year recorded nearly 50,000, 49,582,000. Really? Yeah, it's it's huge numbers and a market share of 4.6%. Now, that's still relatively low, but listen to this. MG had only around 3,000 sales in 2018. So it's gone from 3,000 sales in 2018 to nearly 50,000 sales in 2022. Tesla, uh, with 19,594 sales, rose to 16, 16th position on the new sales charts. 16th position. Now, remember, you know, if Tesla five years ago was just a fuzzy word coming out of the United States. We didn't know a lot about it. <laughs> They're now 16th in the charts ahead of Audi, Honda, and Volvo. In the olden days, if I could just refer to that, Greg, without sounding like an old bloke, we had brands in the market, you know, the Fords and the Toyotas and the Hillmans and all that sort of stuff, and they were just steady brands, and they went for decade after decade. What we're going to see moving forward is brands that appear. We've never heard of them. You know, we're in a different world that's very, very competitive, and electric vehicles are going to make that even more competitive. Jeff, are you telling me the Hillman Hunter's not coming back? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's look at some of the worst brand performers in 2022. When we say worst, you've got to factor in that as models changes in vehicles as well, their numbers can drop off, but that's really more about model change than anything else. Uh, Nissan dropped 35.8%. Land Rover dropped 32.7%. This is sales volumes. Peugeot uh, dropped 25.6%. Lexus 23.7%. Honda, 19.1, and Jeep, 
14.2. So there's some brands there that, that have taken a bit of a hit, but that might be more around model change. And, and I think, you know, I mean, to your point there, uh, Nissan are rolling out at the moment um, a number of new models that have been delayed for various different reasons. And we probably do need to factor into that story um, around deliveries, tail end of COVID, shipping issues and so on. They are definitely factors for some of those brands in those uh, those results, aren't they? They are, because if you look at the number of those brands, they're well-engineered cars. I mean, we know that Honda made decisions about selling less higher-order vehicles and fewer, smaller, cheaper vehicles. So that was a strategy. They got a 19.1% drop. That's no surprise, but it doesn't mean their profit margins are less. They might even be higher. Mm. Best-selling models for 2022. We, we talked about the success of Toyota and Hilux for the seventh year in a row more than 64,000 sales, a lot of love. And it was a, an interesting race to follow in that battle with Ford Ranger, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Look, the Toyota came in, as you said, uh, there, Greg, 64.391 sales and the Toyota Hilux leading that, followed by the Ford Ranger, 47,479. The Triton, Mitsubishi Triton, 27,436. The Mazda CX-5, 27,062. And the Toyota Corolla, coming in at 25,284. But look at those SUV sales, you know, biggest type of vehicle sold in Australia, and there's no stopping it. And we want to know how far they can jump. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope somebody's not thinking about jumping as in the way we used to jump a car. Don't ever try and jump an electric car, okay, with the jumper leads. You're going to be in real trouble. Exactly. Well said. Well said. Now, luxury and sport brand results for 2022, bit of a mixed year in some regards. And while the total numbers may not be massive in this sector, they, there are still some that are, I mean, Lamborghini, for example, they, they their sales are up 45 vehicles, but that represents 34.4% for the year. But if you think about the cost of a Lamborghini, up 45 on the year before, is, is really, that's a really good number. Exactly. Porsche is up 1,180, 26%. Rollers, Rolls-Royce up 25% on the year before. That's only 12 vehicles, but, you know, they're expensive. Uh, Maserati up 6.1% with an additional 34 vehicles sold. Ferrari up by nine vehicles or 4.6%. So there's parts of our economy that are doing very, very, very well. You don't buy these cars to nip down the shops to pick up your groceries. You're buying one of these because you love cars and you're going you're gonna to treat it very, very carefully. In the luxury category, those that were down for 2022, I mean, Jaguar looks like it was it was a tough one for them, down 42.7%. Oof. Yeah, that's a big uh, step down for them. McLaren down th- just over 30%. Lexus down 23.7%. Lotus down 127 And Bentley down 73 Take that Bentley number, for example, 7.3. There might be two cars. You've got to read the story behind them. But it was a tough year last year. A lot of the plants were shut around the world. So production was down and, and delivery of cars was down. And I agree with what you're saying about Bentley. But, Jeff, would you agree that that, that drop of 42.7% for Jaguar, that's massive because that won't be two or three cars. That'll be a lot of Jaguars, won't it? That, that's, that's a big hit. I think what we're going to find, if you if you go back to – a discussion that we had a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the actual size of the car fleet, you know, 20 million cars on the road in Australia, um, and the growth of the population. If we took a view that, because we're going to be using a lot of micro-type mobility vehicles, let's just say the competition's for 1.2 million vehicles. Let's just use that as an every annual sales of vehicles. It's quite possible that market will become more crowded and some of those older brands really suffering because when you look at Tesla, Tesla never built an internal combustion engine car. 
So these are new brands coming onto the market that people are trying. But if somebody buys a new Tesla or a new BYD or a new electric vehicle, it doesn't matter what the brand is, they're not buying an old brand. They're buying a new brand that didn't exist. So that's why the older brands have got to work a lot harder to hold their place in the market. That's why the MG story is particularly remarkable because one, it was a product that was dead in the water anyway as as an old UK product in terms of the the viability of the plant. Not only did it get picked up, it's going up the, the charts of vehicle sales very, very quickly. And it's because they bought out a relatively modestly priced petrol version and they bought out a very cost-effective electric car. Yeah, it's a good example of an old brand doing well in a new world. We'll have a look at the January figures, the first month of the uh, the FCAI VFAX figures next month here on The Grill. Looking for reliability? Switch to Denso and you'll understand why their products outperform anything else in the industry from Ignition coils to engine management sensors, AC components and alternators, filters to fuel pumps and much, much more. Plus, cutting-edge spark plug technology that makes Denso plugs sought after worldwide. Built to last the distance and keep you on our roads longer, thanks to the industry-leading facilities that they have right here in Australia. At your next service, be sure to ask for Denso or you can find your part at denso.com.au. Last episode, we caught up with our old mate, Steve Pizzardi, as he reminisced about some of his favourite moments of Australian Top Gear and then even working internationally with the likes of Jeremy Clarkson and the rest of them there, including the time that he was very nearly <laughs> killed by a rhino. That's a great story. Jump back to the library and have a listen uh, if you haven't already in our first fortnightly instalment for uh, for January of the Grill. On today's episode, Steve's kindly rejoined us again, and this time wearing his hat as an accomplished driving instructor. And I know, Shane, you really wanted to get your teeth into this one. So we've obviously just come through the Christmas period, and I'd love to talk to you about that because um, I've had the pleasure, of, number one, having you as, as one of my best mates, but also that means you get me into some of these driver programs with Audi, et cetera, where I get to get behind the wheel of some pretty quick cars on some fantastic tracks all over this great country of ours. But can we get, only because you do this for a living and you do it so well, if you had to give a, a, the top few tips for parents out there, I'm a parent of young children, they're not yet behind the wheel, um, but will be soon. What are your top tips, if you will, in talking to parents or to kids or whoever about the things that beyond getting there, you know, beyond stopping at a stop sign and stick to the speeds and all that, what, what are some of your top tips, would you say? I think top of the list for me is the minute you think you know it all, that's when it all falls apart. Before we even get behind the wheel, I think that's probably the single biggest issue that we have here in Australia is that we've got this awful combination of very, very low skill level. Because when you think about it, think about your driver's licence test. You know, most people don't even go over 60 k's an hour. Mm. You know, it's 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 let alone stopping and swerving and doing all these other things that you you have to do. For example, for your motorbike license. But even before you get to that point, this problem on our roads is never going to get any better if you think there's nothing more to learn. And that's probably at the heart of the issue that we have is that everybody thinks they're better than everybody else, mainly because we all acknowledge that the test is rubbish. And so whatever you picked up along the way through your experience or any other supplemental training gives you that sense of superiority because you go, well, hang on a minute, you're all doing this really sort of silly test around the block and doing a three-point park. I've done whatever little bit it is 
beyond that really basic test. And so you instantly think you're better than everybody else. And so when everyone thinks that way, which everybody does, um, I often ask our students on our drive days, rank yourself as a driver on a scale of one to 10. And, uh, and I think if people are being honest with themselves, listening to this podcast right now, if you're being really honest, you'd probably put yourself well above average. You'd say eight or nine out of 10. And I always say there's at least one person listening to us right now that'd say, Stevie, I reckon 11. Um, do you think that modern cars have, have got a bit to answer for there is that we sort of sell modern cars as almost indestructible and, you know, you've got ABS braking. You know, do you think there's a sense that I'm in this car, it's got every piece of technology known to mankind, I can't possibly injure myself here? I mean, is that part of the problem? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the fact that, the, you know, the road toll has come down mainly through um, the vehicle technology, let's be honest. Mm. Um, it's not as though I mean, there are more people on the roads now. We're having more crashes than we've had before. The cars are just better at saving us from those issues. Yeah. Humans love nothing more than a crutch. So if you mm. give someone a... a a piece of technology that means they can do less or switch off more, then they'll take that. And so things like, as you say, whether it be adaptive cruise control, lane keeping, as of Jan 1, 2023, all cars sold in Australia must have um, AEB. Even if you, you know, you happen to be half distracted and you're on the throttle, you know, if it senses you're going to have a collision, it'll jump on the brakes for you. We spend a lot of our uh, our, our time not only teaching people skills that they'll need to, to get out of emergencies and how, how to identify them before they get into them, but also how does the modern motor car work? Mm. What can it do unless you understand that point where you need to take over or what are its limitations, you're always going to run into more problems than you would otherwise. I loved cameras when they put them on the back of a truck and said, this is what's behind you when you're backing yes. a truck up. Yeah, yeah. Perfect place yeah. to have a camera. Then they got introduced into cars. Nowhere near as big as a truck. You've got a, a glass window behind you in most circumstances yeah. and you can see at the back. And they said, here's a reversing camera. I said, yeah, why not? It's nice to see with me in the boat. It's nice to actually look at that camera and see if I have got the tow ball right under the thing. I don't have to get out of the car three times and go back another inch and back another inch. <laughs> it was great. I get it. And then it's pretty handy when you're trying to park neat. So this is a conversation that's two weeks old. I had a friend who's got a car, uh, just got a new car, and they said to me, I'm really disappointed because this car doesn't have a front-facing camera. I said, okay, so that's you. <laughs> you're the front-facing camera. But we had a chat about it. And I get it in the end. I, we kind of concurred that it was about, and this bit I do get, I do like using the cameras to see if you are perfect distance between the front-painted line and the rear-painted line mm. when you're parking yeah, in yeah, a car park. Yeah, yeah. I like to be the person that's yep. perfectly in that space. <laughs> but I did it before cameras anyway. Look, you know, the, the, the hottest topic, there's two big topics that have come out of cars in the last 10 years and the two biggest topics in motoring since the car was invented. Uh, and one is obviously electrification. And I know you guys have covered this and we certainly do. I'm going to be talking about this for the next 10 years still. But the other one is autonomous driving. So where the no. car is going to take over. And I think at the moment where we are is that we are literally half pregnant here. Okay. We're in this position where the computer and the computers on board cars are doing some of the work and we're doing some of the work. And so that's the dangerous sort of time, if you like, because if it's all manual, then you would have to do everything. You're not expecting cameras out the front and the back and the sides and lane mm. keeping and all this other stuff. You just pay attention uh, and you do the job and that's the end of it. When the computers fully take over and you can have a snooze in the back or whatever, yeah. that's fine, computers taking over. But at the moment, we, we, we don't understand and most people don't understand 
what am I meant to do? What can the computer do? So uh, technology is pretty useless without training, no matter what it is. Without the training, the technology can work against you. And so that's where obviously people like myself that do these driver training programs come in uh, to help people understand that sort of stuff. Because otherwise it's it's right at a dangerous intersection between uh, computers driving a bit of it and us driving a bit of it. I just got driven from the Sunshine Coast to Brisbane Airport a couple of weeks ago in a Tesla where there was a cab driver being paid not to drive me. He didn't drive. I, I was, I was, it was, took me a little while to realise he was doing his touch the wheel thing because what is it, every 15 seconds you have to make contact. So when we left the Sunshine Coast, mm. as soon as we got out of the resort I was at doing mm. a gig to the Brisbane airport, I was sitting sort of, I couldn't quite see where his hands were. And we were talking about the car and what did he think about it and he's got a small fleet of them and what does he think and their reliability and mm. all that kind of stuff. And then at one point I said, you know, well, how often do you use this thing where you're not driving? And he said, mate, I haven't been driving for 25 minutes. Crazy. And that's when I said, great, I'm paying you not to drive me. This is ridiculous. Mm. Hey, boys, uh, Checker Flag is nearly about to wave on this on this interview, and I knew it would be fabulous from the, the get-go, and it has been. Uh, Stevie, if you, you could uh, put your political cap on and lobby federal government, what things would you change, mate, in this space so that we could be better drivers and, and what things do government maybe need to listen to more of from people that you, you're seeing it at the coalface? Look, you know, there's a lot of things we'd like to do uh, in terms of introducing, you know, even just equalising the test. Like we mentioned, the motorbike test and the car test are different. So at the very least, get those aligned. But I think, you know, for some people, in some governments, and I've spoken to many of them, that's already a bridge too far, even though (laughs) they're already in place. So it's really simple for me, guys. I've boiled this down to one thing that would help 80% of the issue, and that is retesting. Yep. Retesting. So every 10 years, you get your driver's license again, and all you've got to do is give the government 16 numbers and, and an expiry date. That's pretty much it. And you, you and you don't even need a photo these days. That's all you've got to do is give someone yeah. some money and you're allowed to drive yep. again. Why not retest everybody? Well Why not go through that process again? And at the very least, we'd be able to update people's skills or at least understanding of the road law out there. So if you want to impart information from the government to the road user, that there's your forum right there. And you've got a captive audience. Everyone would do it. It's not an issue. You'd actually increase a bit of employment as well. You'd need a few more testers and what have you. And I think everyone would appreciate that rather than doing it once when you're 16 or 17 and then going quite literally for 60 years, more, 70 years. If you get an 18 in, and you can make it to 88, you know, so 70 years of driving and there's not one single correction to what you learned back yep. then. So that would be my answer is just retest everyone every time their licence comes up. Training for better skills rather than training to pass a test. You're a great communicator, mate. You always have been. I knew this would be awesome today. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. Safe driving on the roads uh, over the holiday period and we hope that 2023 is a ripper year for you. Thanks so much, everyone. Really great to be here. Having supplied more than 300 million clutch kits to OE clients, Exidy has earned a reputation for trust, respect and quality. All Exidy OEM replacement kits include high-quality cover assemblies, clutch discs and release bearings and are manufactured to strict specifications for fitment, longevity and noise suppression. When you choose to fit an OEM replacement kit from Exidy's extensive range, you'll enjoy the same loyalty that they demonstrate to OE clients around the globe. Find out more 
at exidy.com.au. Listener mail time. That glove box is damn full again too. Thanks to all of you for your nice Christmas messages. Here's one here from uh, Wayne from the Gold Coast for me. Uh, he says, which Aussies are going to race at the Australian Grand Prix weekend in, in late March, early April there, which and we'll be there too, incidentally, with the grill. Um, now, in Formula 1, Formula 2, you're going to see the likes of, of Oscar Piastri now with McLaren. Uh, very excited there. Hopefully that's a good car for Oscar, joining Lando Norris in uh, the famous papaya or, or orange colours. Jack Doohan is going to be a star of Formula 2, make no uh, mistake about that. He is the the next Aussie in waiting, trying to make that step up to F1. And I guarantee you, you will see Daniel Ricciardo around Albert Park in some fashion. He is not employed as the, the kind of uh, reserve driver for the team. That role actually is for the Kiwi, uh, Liam Lawson. But Daniel's going to do all kinds of, of, of activity with Red Bull. He's back with the, the family where he started his first serious uh, efforts in Formula One. And we'll have some more details on our VACC uh, President's Dinner in the next episode for you as well. Shane, one for you here from Eric in Horsham. He says, enough already. When is the Holden versus Ford movie going to be released? So one thing I reckon Eric wouldn't say, Rusty, just out of curiosity, I reckon he would describe something just simply as orange, not papaya. But anyway, I won't hark on. Holden versus Ford are the movie. I'm still not allowed to say too much because obviously – Anything, anything being released, people like to kind of announce it when it's about to happen. What I can say, I think, is I have been in the studio. I've seen quite a lot of it. It's really, really close. I do have to go into a studio very, very, very soon to do a few little bits. We're just there's a bit of a re-edit happening, but it is, it's close. Is all I'm allowed to say on, unfortunately, and because I did ask, I, I, I did say to the producers very recently, I'm going to get asked again, and they said it's close, and that was all I was uh, permitted to say. In fact, they even sent me an email to say that's how I had to word it. So, it's close. There you go. Stay tuned, Eric. We'll arm wrestle it out of him at some point during the year here on The Grill. Uh, Jeff, one here from Yasmin, in fact, in Terralgan. Here you go. I've seen YouTube videos of cars driving themselves, talking about uh, driverless cars. Is this real? Uh, Will we really have driverless cars in the future? Uh, Fully autonomous cars are great in fixed environments. So in an environment where there are private roads and you control which way the traffic's going and you know, all that sort of stuff. But a really good example, when I was overseas recently, I was in a cab, had three of my colleagues with me, and the, the car in front of us had broken down, and the cab driver mounted the curb, went over the medium strip, and kept going, okay? That's what happened in real life. An autonomous car is never, ever going to do that. You're going to sit there for four hours while somebody comes and moves the car in front of you. There's a whole lot of legal aspects around, you know, who's responsible for the car when your hands aren't on the wheel, if you have a major accident, is it the car's fault? Is it your fault? Is it the manufacturer's fault? So I think outside of very fixed environments that have got a whole lot of measures in place, almost controlled infrastructure, I don't think we're going to get them at level five on the roads. I don't know if I want one. I don't see any point in sitting in a car that's fully automated if I can't use my laptop, use my phone, do things I want to do. I don't see any point in just sitting there watching the world move around me while I wait for my car to make, you know, to decide what's going to happen. So the answer is the technology will be there in terms of the car being able to drive itself. But I think it's interface with our infrastructures is what's going to hold it back. And there's always going to be a legal battle about who's responsible. 
written, spoken and authorised by Jeff Gwillem. Vote one now for the Driverless Society Car Party. We cannot wrap up this edition of The Grill without a fan favourite. It's time for this. Blow it out your tail, We're going to move, move into the state of New South Wales. For those that don't know, speed cameras, the cars that have cameras mounted inside them that capture you speeding and take your photograph, <clears throat> New South Wales has 143 of these cars. In New South Wales, they had signs on them letting you know there's a speed camera that's going to be detecting your speed. When they had these signs, they're letting people know, oh, hey, just letting you know if you're speeding, up ahead's the thing that gets a photo of you speeding, you get a fine, so maybe you should stop speeding. And maybe they should just put those signs everywhere and not bother about the car. But anyway, so when they did that, um, New South Wales used to get an annual revenue of about $4 million for low-range speeding fines. Then they decided to remove the signs. And guess what? The income over a year went from $4 million a year to $45 million a year. Holy. And the people in Sydney kicked up a fuss and went, this is just revenue raising. Now, look, people are going to throw cans at me when they see me on the street after I say this. This argument about revenue raising, I get that it is, but by the same token, if you don't speak, you don't get fined, right? So they don't actually turn up and go, look, you know, give us $10 as a donation towards the state because maybe once you sped, <laughs> they catch you in the act. But anyway, the New South Welsh men and women kicked up a fuss and said it's just not right. And guess what? Because the opposition leader said it's revenue raising and got a bit of traction. So they now have to put signs back on the cars. Right. Here's the thing, though. 105 of the 143 cars aren't the right size to fit the new signage they're putting on them because they're smaller cars. No. So they no. have to retrofit in order for the sign because it's quite heavy, it's steel. For them to be secured properly, the cars have to be retrofitted with something new. So as of the 1st of January, they have to pull 105 of these cars off the road. So there's only 38 of these things out there now. So three quarters of the New South Wales mobile speed camera vehicles have been taken off the road and it's going to take them, they estimate, until the end of April to get all those cars uh, retrofitted with these signs that let you know that there's a speed camera inside it. Blow that out your tailpipe. Oh, my <laughs> I, I goodness. People got to tell the police to blow it out their own tailpipe and then the whole thing's been stopped. So now they'll go back to $4 million a year instead of $45 million a year. So they've got to find $41 million somewhere else. Plus the cost of engineering the signs into the into the cars. <laughs> I did some research into that, Rusty. They don't yet know what that's going to cost the taxpayers. That was a question that I was keen to find out. <laughs> some of the cars may have to be replaced because the cars aren't the right size for the sign. Cop that. That is it for this edition of The Grill. Don't forget, we're now fortnightly. We can chat with you and we will chat with you. We're looking forward to that in two weeks' time. Another instalment of Cop This. Uh, Look at vehicle sales for the first month of 2023. Don't forget, we're gearing up for a very special broadcast as well. Some good guests joining us at the Grand Prix at Albert Park at the end of March there and we'll have more details on that. Plus crazy stuff that caught our attention in the sea of automotive news in January. Bye for now, everyone. See you on the road, folks. Oh, hang on, speeding fine ahead. Uh, Slowing down. (laughs) See you slowly on the road, folks. Listener.